Jib has been in a series, as you guys know, basically on worldview. Let's face it, how we view the world uh, determines how we live. And uh, he's two weeks into the series. Let me just tell you, if you haven't listened to those, you need to. Last week's was good. The week before was awesome. So you need to listen to those. Uh, and it really helps as, as you reach out to our community, as we uh, come in contact with people from and, – and Colorado, gosh, if, if ever there's a mixed bag, my wife and I have been amazed, you know. Uh, it's very rare, I'm finding, to meet somebody who's actually born here, you know. <laughs> so uh, it's great to know where people are coming from. So uh, Jim had a, a study week this week and uh, graciously invited me to preach. And I wanted to try to tie in in some way uh, with what he's doing on worldviews. And um, a thought just came to me because uh, most of you sitting here, I believe, this morning come from a basically a, a Christian worldview. Um, and so I guess I wanted to ask the question. Psalm 73 came to my mind. That's where we're going to be looking this morning. Uh, the question came to my mind, could there be somebody here this morning um, who, like Asaph, who's the author of Psalm 73, is finding that the Christian life is just harder than you ever bargained for, that it's more difficult than you ever dreamed. If you're anything like me, when I came to faith in 1980, I thought, I can remember just, and I, I said this uh, a few weeks ago when I was giving my testimony, that uh, I had this feeling of euphoria for a period of a couple months not everybody gets that, but for some reason the Lord blessed me with that. And I just thought, this thing, the Christian life, this is just the greatest thing in the world, and it's, it's carefree, it's trouble-free, it's easy. Talk about naive. <laughs> Talk about naive. It's not an easy life. Um, as a matter of fact, I'd say it's one of the more difficult lives. But as we look at Psalm 73 this morning, I think we're going to see and I think identify with a guy who's going through something that maybe some of you here this morning are actually going through. Uh, if you look in your uh, bulletin, you'll see we're breaking it down into three uh, just key words because I think they're transitional points uh, in, the, in the psalm. Uh, part one is, I was envious. Part two, simply, until. And then part three, uh, therefore. And... By way of uh, a simplistic, if I could put it that way, maybe slightly sim simplistic worldview, he starts out this way in Psalm 73 and verse 1. Notice what Asap says. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. That, I would, I would, I would like to suggest to you guys this morning, is, is his worldview in a nutshell. Standard, kind of standard uh, Jewish theology of the day. In other words, if you're, if you are a good, a good Jew, if you're a good God-fearing person, maybe not even necessarily a Jew, maybe what they called a, a God-fearer, a Gentile who feared God. But if you're a God-fearing person, then you can count on God being good to you. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Live right, God will treat you right. That's it in a nutshell. But it doesn't work out quite that simply for him. Notice what he says in verses 2 and 3. He says, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says, I'm looking around me, and my, my whole worldview is being shaken. God's good to Israel. He's good to people who are pure in heart. But he's not good to wicked people. And yet he looks around him and he sees something very, very different happening. 
And I'm going to read several verses. Follow along as I read verses 4 through 12. And this is what he's seeing that's really ripping his heart out. He says, they, speaking of these wicked people, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. They don't have the problems that the rest of us seem to have to deal with day in and day out. Verse 6, therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. They tend to be violent people. Hit you as quick as say hello to you. Verse 7, from their callous hearts come iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff. They speak with malice, with arrogance. They threaten oppression. So they're extortioners. Pay up or get beat up. Their mouths, I'm sorry, they scoff, they speak malice with arrogance, they threaten oppression, their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. That's verse 10. Uh, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. And that, that line is uh, debated a little bit uh, as to what it means, but the closest thing I can come to is this, is... People are hanging. They, got, they have these followers that seem to hang on every word they say. In our, in our culture, we might say people like to suck up to them, hang around with them, be, you know, be part of their inner circle. Verse 10. Therefore, their people turn up and drink up their waters in abundance. They say, that is the wicked people. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like, says Asaph, always carefree, and they go about amassing wealth. They don't have a trouble in the world, and they go and they just keep piling up riches higher and higher. And, and what this is doing for Asaph is making him say, the, this life of living like a believer, it just isn't paying off. It isn't worth it. And, you know, you have to give him credit for his honesty because he's not saying it isn't worth it. He's not morally outraged. That's not why he's upset. He comes right out and tells, tells us at the beginning, I was envious of the wicked. So he's not morally outraged. He's jealous. He's saying, listen, I'm living a certain way. I'm doing my best to walk the straight and narrow, and it's not paying off, God. And look at these people around me. They're the worst people on planet Earth, and they don't have a care in the world, and they're getting rich doing it. What is going on? Uh, one, of my, one of my old favorite gangster movies is a movie called uh, Mobsters. I don't know how many have ever seen it. Uh, Patrick Dempsey is in it. It's probably from like late, late 80s, early 90s. But it's basically the story of uh, several organized crime figures, true-to-life figures, uh, primarily uh, a man named Lucky Luciano, you may have heard of, uh, and his right-hand man, his bookkeeper, Meyer Lansky, both of whom, by the way, just parenthetically, uh, Lucky Luciano uh, became one of the most influential men in America, basically controlled the entire mob scene, was finally exported by the government, uh, sent back to uh, Italy where he was born, uh, and lived his days out there, died of a heart attack of natural causes, still one of the most wealthy men in America. And his sidekick, Meyer Lansky, who was kind of like their, their the bookkeeper of the Luciano crime family, which later uh, became... Uh, the Genovese crime family. Uh, he was he was 80-something years old, died quietly in his oceanfront penthouse in Miami, Florida, worth somewhere 
and nobody knows because he kept his money laundered in so many different places, between 300 and $500 million. A man who had led a life of violence and deceit. Carlo Gambino, there's another name that comes to mind. I think, as, as I read mob history, probably the most influential mobster ever. And one of the most violent ever. He spent a total of eight weeks in jail in his life. He was, he was, an, he was a mobster for over 60 years. Died in his late 70s in his Massapequa, Long Island mansion, uh, watching a Yankee game. Just died quietly in bed. See, these, these are the kind of people Asaph is looking around and saying, Lord, this ought not to be. This just doesn't work for me, you know? Verse 14, look what he says. Verses 13 and 14. Surely I have kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. All day long I've been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. And what's more, he, he not only has this incredible inner struggle, he doesn't feel free to share it with anybody. So by the way, you, you're going to see as you go through, this is a pretty integral guy. He doesn't try to lie to us about why he's upset and, and say he's morally outraged. He admits he's envious. And now he says, I have had this terrible struggle, this terrible inner turmoil going on, but I don't feel free to share it, as my Australian wife would say, even with my best mates. Why? Why don't you feel free, Asaph? Well, look what he says in verse 15. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. You see what he's saying? He's saying, I don't want to share what I'm feeling because what I'm seeing around me is making my own faith crumble. And I'm having a faith crisis. I don't want to share it and dump it all on somebody else and shatter their faith. I want to build people up. I want to encourage people. But if I share what's going on in my life and in my heart, I'm going to destroy someone's faith. And I'm not about to do that. And, and he's not making any progress. He seems to be getting nowhere. Until. Part two. Until. Notice verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final Destiny. You say, Garrett, you mean he just finds his answer by just going to church? Yeah. Yeah. He does. He does. You see, one of the things that worship does, and I think every single person on the worship team would, would tell you this, one of the reasons that we start out the service by singing uh, is to get our focus off of where it's been most of the week for all of us who've been trying to, to, to build a house out on Winter Gulch. On the horizontal, all of my horizontal problems, all the contractors that are driving me crazy, all the hours that I'm working that I, that I thought I was done working those kind of hours, all the physical labor that I'm doing that I haven't done that kind of physical labor in 20 years. And we're all on the horizontal, but when we come to church, the first thing we do is we start singing and what's that supposed to do? It's supposed to get our eyes off of the horizontal and onto the vertical. The things that really matter. The things that are of eternal consequence, not just temporary consequence. There's a story out of John Wesley's ministry. I think you know John Wesley is the 
was the founder of the Methodist or Wesleyan movement. One day he was walking in the English countryside with a friend who was going through a crisis much like Asaph is going through here in Psalm 73. And he was sharing it with John Wesley, and they had been friends for some time. This was a believing man and also a man who had been staying away from church. And he shared with Wesley how he was having all these difficulties, and he said he didn't want to be quote-unquote hypocritical and come to church when he was really struggling with all of these things. So he and Wesley are walking along this country road, and there was a pasture there, and there was a cow watching them, the big stone wall. And Wesley said to his friend, he said, why do you suppose that cow is looking at us with her head laying up on top of the wall? Why is she looking at us over the wall? And the man said, well, I guess because she can't see us through the wall. He said, exactly, exactly. He said, and can I suggest to you that you are never going to see through your problems on your own? You're not. It isn't going to happen. But maybe, maybe if you come to church, you'll be able to see over your problems to things that really matter and get God's perspective on your problems. You know, when I, when I heard that simple illustration years ago, I thought about the cow lifting her head. And I just thought of that expression, Lord, you are the lifter of my head. You ever heard that before? Well, I just, I just looked it up in the Psalms, just going through the Psalms last night. And let me just tell you just the three that I found right away. It's in Psalm 3. It's in Psalm 27. It's in Psalm 110. Again and again and again, God says, and, or the Psalm writers say, Lord, you're the lifter of my head. You're the lifter of my countenance. It's almost like God is saying, listen, I know it's rough. I know it's hard. I know things don't seem fair from your perspective right now, but hey, chin up. Chin up. Get your eyes where they belong. Perspective changes everything. Here's why. Because it takes our focus from the present and the horizontal to the eternal and the vertical. Notice uh, verse 17b and following. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. Suddenly he realizes the end of wicked They're not getting away with anything. They're not. You know, unlike... The agrarian culture of this day. God doesn't settle all of his accounts in October. He settles them when he feels like settling them. And, and a future perspective, guys, can I suggest to you, whatever's bothering your heart, whatever's troubling your heart this morning, and if you're like me, you came in here with some things really nagging on you. A future and an eternal perspective is the answer. Remember Moses, remember the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Well, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 24 says this. It says, and Moses, when he had come of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing instead to suffer persecution with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Why? Because he looked to the future reward got his eyes off of the horizontal and onto the vertical and the eternal.
See, in a very real sense, everything that, everything that you and I can see and touch around us is an illusion. Except people. Except people. People are not. People are not an illusion. People are real. But this building, all the cars that are in the parking lot, even the beautiful mountains that are one of the big reasons we're in Colorado, those things are an illusion. You know why they're an illusion? Because they're temporary. They're not eternal. They're not. Look at, look at what really changes ASAP's thinking. Look at the, the fate of wicked people. Verse 20. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. God says that the prosperity of wicked people is nothing but a dream. Did you ever have, did you ever have a really bad dream? I mean, a really bad nightmare. I haven't, I haven't had any recently, but I used to have, especially one recurring one, pretty regularly. And it's so vivid and it's so horrific that you wake up and for an instant, you know how your, your heart's pounding and you're like, you're trying to think, where am I? And suddenly you know where you are and you know it was just a dream and you say, oh my goodness. Thank you, Lord, that it was just a dream. You know, you know the incredible relief that you feel at a moment like that? I think we've all experienced something like that. Well, look, look carefully at what Asap is saying about wicked people, guys. He's saying it's, it's like that for wicked people. This life is their dream. And the minute it ends, they are going to wake up to an eternal nightmare. The men back on 9-11-2001 who flew those planes into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon, their theology unfortunately uh, taught them that you know, they were going to wake up to 72 dark-eyed virgins. Sadly, the moment they flew those planes into the Trade Centers, into the Pentagon, you know what they did? They woke up to an eternal nightmare. And when, a, when that clicks for Asaph, suddenly everything that he sees going on around him has a completely different perspective. He has a completely different perspective. You know, coming to church is a really good habit. It is. Even if you don't feel like it. I'll be honest with you. I've been a pastor for 16 years. And there's mornings when I wake up, I, I don't feel like going to church. I'd rather just go to bed, Bedside Baptist, as we call it, you know. But it's a great habit to develop, even when you don't feel like it. As a matter of fact, that I would even say that probably on the mornings when you least feel like it, that's probably when you most need to be here. So that God, by His, by, by His worship, by the fellowship of other believers, by the preaching of the world, Word can lift your countenance and can move you from a place of doubt and despair back to a place of rejoicing and faith. Well, Asaph's entire 
view of things is now flip-flop. Look what he says in verses 23 and 24. Yet I am always with you. Well, you know what? Actually, I need to back up and if, if Bob can back up for me on the slides. I need to back up to 21 and 22. He says, Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. He's saying, I was like a dumb ox, Lord, until I came to the assembly and I got my eyes on what really matters. And then he says in verses 23 and 24, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. His, his assurance of his relationship to God comes flooding back. And, and he basically says, Lord, I was like a dumb ox. I was doubting. I was wandering. And yet you never let go of me. You were holding me the whole time by my right hand. It reminds me of what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Even when we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And you know what? As, as we come to the end of this psalm and as, and as we look at what's happened to Asaph, I think if we were to ask him, Asaph, the question that you started out with, is God always good to Israel? I think he would answer that a little differently here at the end than he did at the beginning. I think here at the end he might say something like this. If by good you mean my pockets and my bank account are always overflowing, uh, I'm always healthy, my family's always healthy, my kids are walking the straight and narrow, not getting in any trouble, if that, and, and wicked people, as soon as they appear, God squashes them like bugs instantly, if that's what you mean by good, then no. No. God is not good to believing people. But if by good you mean that no matter how painful my life gets, no matter how difficult the circumstances of my life get, even if I lose my health, even if I lose loved ones, no matter how hard life gets, Lord, you will never let go of my hand. You will always hold my hand and you will guide me. You will be with me all the way to glory. Guys, let me ask you a question. What is better then, the, then, first of all, the promise of God. Objectively, we have to believe that. But subjectively, what's better than the felt presence of God day in and day out in your life and mine? What's better than that? You know, I, I mentioned before that all those things are an illusion. You know, the cars, uh, the new houses. <laughs> Nothing wrong with those things. But we do need to remember that they are only temporary. And we need to make sure that they're good things. They really are. But we need to make sure that the good things in life aren't keeping us from the best thing in life. Walking with, being in fellowship with the God of the universe who created you and me. Look what he says in verses 25 and 26. Lord, who do I have in heaven but you? And on earth I desire nothing beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Wow. There, there's, there's, there's a couple of verses that are worthy of being committed to memory. Who do I have in heaven but you, Lord? And on earth I desire nothing but you. My heart and my flesh 
They will fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, if you're married, sitting here this morning, let me just talk to the married folks for just a second, then at some point, X number of years ago, however many that may be, you said what I said to Janine 21 years ago. For better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And guys, if human love can command that kind of total commitment, how much more should the eternal, unconditional love of God command our undying commitment and obedience to Him? I will never leave you I will never forsake you. Verse 28, Asaph ends. This is what good now means for Asaph as he closes. But as for me, it is good to be near to God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. If I want to make sense of the thugs that seem to be getting away with murder, if I want to make sense of this world which is just at, seems out of control to me, here's my refuge. The Lord is my refuge. We, we sang a song a minute ago. Uh, every now and again, the Lord uh, brings a song on the scene that really seems to move the hearts of his people. Uh, in the late 90s for Janine and I, when we were planning uh, Pinelands Community Church, it was Shout to the Lord. Anybody remember Shout to the Lord? Uh, I love, absolutely love Matt Redman's new song that we just sang. And uh, I guess though, there's one part in there that I'd like to challenge us with as I finish here. He says, the sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. Time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass or whatever comes before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. Don't lose perspective. And don't give up on the one who will never give up on us. Father, thank you so much for life and breath, for a new day. Thank you for this honest man, Asaph, and for the way he dealt with the struggles of life, of, of, the, of the Christian life. Lord, help us to remember that it really is, our worldview really is worth it. Someday... Even if we suffer along the way, even if we suffer unspeakably, someday it will be worth it all. And then some. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.